0: Hey everyone, it's King Kyrie here at the Age of the Millennial and right now I've got a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself to us?
1: Sure. Hi, my name is Tammy Martinez and I'm the Assistant Dean in the School of the Arts at uh, Indiana University South Bend
0: she may sound familiar to anyone who's been with me since the beginning because i have had miss martinez professor doctor now martinez (laughs) on before and i do remember our conversation was very lively and very animated one of my favorites to be quite honest and i'm not sure if you're able to take a look dr martinez but um your particular episode has quite a few listens
1: oh that's good glad to hear it
0: Since uh, we've last spoken, I've actually had uh, different people from around the world. I've got Germany, Ireland, Canada, Singapore, Malta, Brazil, uh, Turkey, Sweden, a lot of different countries listening. And I do believe that this, what we're talking about today is going to have a resounding impact not just on the people who live in America, but around the world as far as continuing their education goes.
1: Sure. Wow, that's exciting
0: yeah i agree and so not to put you in a uh that kind of spotlight but you do have listeners from all over the world who uh may listen to what you have to say and it could determine their future so no pressure
1: no pressure yeah (laughs) right so
0: to uh preface uh the point of this particular episode um my professor professor martinez um just got her doctorate when did you get your doctorate
1: Actually, July, July 2022 is when it's all official. I did defend my dissertation as the process goes. I defended in April, uh, April 20 to be exact of 2022, but then there are a lot of updates to do on my dissertation and getting it in and doing all of the logistical things. And yeah, so uh, July, yeah
0: for very <laughs> just, recently just well. so mm-hmm. yeah it's crazy and I, I just want to say as your former student that I am proud of you oh, like I know you. how hard it is to be a teacher and go to school I tried it and it was during COVID I was like you know what I'm going to take yeah. a break uh from this but no I do want to say congratulations when I saw I was like I have to get her back on to talk about her journey because I personally love school and I would love to go back, is just finding the time to be able to do so. But- oh, totally, yeah. Uh, deferring to you, what made you want to become a doctor?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, it's something that I've kind of always wanted to do, and uh, let me just be really candid. Um, so I, I started working in higher education at a university. Um, gosh, I didn't expect to. I never expected to be a teacher. I never expected to go into higher education. So just kind of going back, oh my goodness, over 20 years, because I've actually been in higher education, oh, well, almost 30 years. Uh, so it's been a long, long journey, but I always knew I wanted to, to achieve the doctorate and um, just the idea of, I'm also a learner. You know, you mentioned the love of learning and so on. I'm definitely like that as well. So I knew to remain in higher education. I needed my master, so I did that. And then just, you know, I really wanted to do my PhD. I just wanted to have that level of knowledge and understanding about something and to have earned that particular um, accomplishment. And it took me a long time (laughs) to kind of circle back and do that. Um, I feel like in some ways I'm kind of late in my career, if you will, to have done this, Um, but you know, there's no better time than the present. So I was just able to do it, start the process uh, exactly six years ago. And, um, and I will say that, that another thing, kind of as an aside, that really inspired me to be, um, you know, to get this degree was I was really, uh, really impressed and drawn to the regalia, you know, the foofy little robe and the foofy little hat um, uh-huh. that, <laughs> that my colleagues would always wear at university events I'm like, wow. I want one of those someday. I think they're really cool. I want a squishy little hat and a foofy robe. So, you know, obviously it's it's more than that, but that's just kind of a, a fun aside. I was looking forward to to having that regalia.
0: So now that you are a doctor uh, and you got your PhD, when you attend ceremonies, you'll be able to wear that.
1: I will. Yeah, it's very exciting.
0: Um, so going back to what you said about you said you felt like it was kind of late for you i will uh vouch for myself and say that hey you know i didn't get my uh undergrad finished until i was 28. you know life does happen and you've got to sometimes put things on hold and you said better late than never what advice (laughs) do you have for people who are listening to this and who have thought seriously thought about going to school but they feel like they don't have enough time or that it's oh. too late for them?
1: Oh yeah, I would I would say, you know, yeah, you can think that. And obviously those, those sorts of thoughts surface, but I would say, you know what? It's still never too late. If it's something that you really want to do and you feel like it's something that's important for you to accomplish, or if you need this, even as a stepping stone for, you know, branching off into a different career or a life work, um, it's it's never too late it truly is never too late and I think what I had to do is kind of take my own advice if you will and remind myself Tammy it's never too late you're doing this at the time that makes sense for you and I think everyone just has to kind of look at that and consider you know what they have going on in their lives um, work family all of those different things they're real um they're very very real so if you want to pursue higher education or you know more degree or um, more training and that type of thing you do have to consider your bandwidth you know how much energy you have to kind of put into that and i remember when i first started my phd program um, my professors would talk to us and say look you know you are all here. You're working full-time in higher education. You're doing this PhD at the same time, full-time. So you're really full-time studying and full-time working. What are you going to be able to give up in your current lives right now to allow you the space that you need to study and do the things, in addition to all of that, and I remember, joking. Park. Yeah, exactly. And so I do remember joking and thinking to myself, "Well, my husband and I have four kids. Which kid can I, you know?" <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, it, it was. It, it became a joke within our family. But I think really the most important thing, Kyrie, is having some really um, forthright, transparent conversations with the family and saying you know, I am here for you, you are my priority. And of course I need to do my work and and I'm there for my students and all of those things. But then I do need to carve out this time to just finish this coursework. And I think being upfront about that is is really important. And I also, in my program, I had to be out of town, away from home uh, to do like a partial residency. I had to Mm -hmm. go to Southern California twice a year, which was great in January. I remember. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, I had to juggle a few things here and there. Um, But, you know, you get through it, you do what you have to do. And I think just, you know, keeping those conversation lines open and being real about things that you need and obviously being there for your family, um, that's very important to me. So, yeah, a lot of juggling for sure.
0: You see, you have quite a grasp over everything, it seems, as far as the full scope. But what are some unforeseen, uh, I guess, negative effects or consequences of doing this with your already overloaded burden? Is there anything that you <laughs> saw that that you weren't expecting to happen?
1: Oh, absolutely! And the irony of it of it is, is that what I studied for my for my dissertation topic and my study is really. About faculty thriving. So I'm looking at in higher education, I'm looking at basically faculty well-being. And it makes sense because mm-hmm. we're here in higher education, we want our students to be successful, which is why we're in higher ed in many ways. We want our students to be successful, we want them to thrive, we want them to do well. But if we're if faculty are not doing well, how are yeah. faculty then able to help students do well? So my whole the premise of my my study was to develop this instrument called the Faculty Thriving Quotient, and actually I ended up co-authoring that with Dr. Lori Schreiner, and she is the author of the Thriving Quotient for Students, and she authored that, oh my goodness, I think in 2010. And so, we and she and I co-authored this Faculty Thriving Quotient that, um, we're now, it's now reliable and valid according to my study. <laughs> so it can be used for institutions of higher ed to understand how faculty are doing. So, within that context, it's kind of a long explanation. But partway through my study, I was reading the material on well being and really on thriving, on flourishing, on human flourishing, if you will, or optimal functioning. And I realized, oh my goodness, I am not thriving. I am languishing, if anything, or I'm just, I'm really struggling. So I did go through this period where I realized that it was too much. And my mind and body said, Tammy, you need to slow down. You need to just kind of take a step back. And I didn't really learn or recognize the signs of it until I needed help. And then I needed to take some time away. So there is that element of it that I would caution everyone that when you go into it, taking on additional um, types of things, it is very important to to recognize your own functioning, <laughs> your own um, well-being, because that's incredibly important. Because if you're not taking care of yourselves, you know, we hear it all the time, if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't really take care of other other people. And that is very, very true. So for me, long story short, instead of finishing, and I was really on track to really knock this out in four years which is pretty quick for a dissertation and for a phd program i was on track but i literally had to take some time back uh, and step away and it took me six years instead of four but that's okay because i've learned a lot about myself in the process and i feel like i'm a better person i'm a better faculty member better researcher better human uh, for having gone through this
0: that is from my perspective, very commendable. And I just want to say, wow, because being a teacher myself, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I taught uh, sixth grade uh, math and science in South Bend before I ended up moving to Houston. And one of the things that I noticed was the state of the faculty. Everyone sure. was really focused on, you know, student health, student growth, student this, mm-hmm. and, and then also, you know, parents and guardians and how informed they are. But no one stopped to ask how the adults that were teaching, the adults that were working there yeah. were doing. And yeah. just like you said, if you can't feed yourself, how can you feed someone else?
1: Very true. Absolutely.
0: And it—it's it, not just higher education; it's—it's it's across the board, which leads me to—I don't like, you know, discussing politics too much. But from a political standpoint, uh, we've seen a huge attack on teachers from all levels, from elementary all the way up to higher education. Yeah. What impact do you think that has had on the institution of education and teaching itself?
1: Sure. Yeah, no, Kyrie, that's an excellent question. And I think it's one that we really need to take some time to consider and unpack a little bit more. And also when we're talking about, you know, my studies on higher education, my Ph.D. is is in higher education, focused on that. But I recognize and we all recognize in the program that if we're going to talk about, say, you know, improving higher education, we have to look at the entire educational system. So we need to look Mm -hmm. at K through 12. you know, and I think there are some real challenges that we face as educators, and I'm going to say K through you know higher ed. Um, we are all facing these challenges because I think there is has been unfortunately a misunderstanding and a devaluation of education and the educational process, and that really concerns at a level me because yes absolutely and and really we are you know suddenly where everyone is an expert in this particular Mm -hmm. area well but i and that you know obviously the the proliferation of social media and that type of thing has given everyone kind of a soapbox or a platform to share more openly more than they would have perhaps in the past at least had access to that so, you know, there's a lot more influence that individual people have, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing. I think we all need to have a voice without question. But what concerns me is a move to, a move toward questioning the experts. Um, to a point Or where-
0: altogether, all silencing them.
1: Absolutely, yes. And saying, well, I know better than, you know, this statistician and so on and so forth. And we all know that, that no research is perfect. We all know mm-hmm. that no field of study is without, without you know, critical Margin examination. of error. Absolutely, but there are clearly there are experts in their field that, um, and I think having gone through the recent pandemic, which of course played into the mix of, of you know, for all of us in many ways, and definitely kind of stalled out my my process in the PhD as well. But I think you know, listening to the experts is so incredibly important, and I and I'm I'm afraid that um, the rhetoric and such is can go so far to 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 really devaluing um education and because by 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 not valuing what our experts are saying and really listening to them i think in many ways it is kind of having a devaluing effect upon our you know education and how we how we respect um and how you know we treat educators and the educational system and that is a concern for me
0: when it comes to um higher education and things like that, I will say that one of my, if not my most popular uh, episode uh, is titled College is a Waste of Time and Money. And I know (laughs) probably you hearing that from me is like, what? But um, (laughs) it's just a way to catch people's attention because when I finally start talking about it, I don't mean the idea of college. Like you Mm -hmm. said, there are issues within our system that need to be addressed. And it's one of those things where everyone, because of the politics involved, is trying to appease students instead of informing them and actually teaching them. And sure. so as a result, curriculum gets cut that could possibly be very beneficial. Like I, I've mm-hmm. said to you several times, your course is something that I believe should be taught as a standard. Instead of forcing people to take level different levels of math, teach them how to communicate and see nonverbal language from Mm -hmm. a point of view that isn't their own. Because a lot of us deal with, at least here in America, deal with um, us being the most important. We are very us-centric here. What's the word for that?
1: (laughs) We're ethnocentric.
0: Uh, Ethnocentric, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And so we don't value anyone else's opinion. And then you have a college system that sort of puts us into a mold and it's essentially we're going through high school again if you think about it getting a lot of our undergrad stuff done and i believe firmly that if people are interested in a certain field there are ways to go about making sure that they are better off by having them take different courses instead of having everyone do a history class a science class a math class and then you know i had to take um jogging do you remember me and my physique, Miss Martina? Or I'm sorry, Dr. Martinez?
1: <laughs> sure, yeah.
0: Why do I have to take jogging? But no, <laughs> no, I'm getting off topic. I'm making it about me and that's not the point it's about you. No, no.
1: No, I completely understand that. And I, I, what you're really kind of what you're describing there is 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 pays homage, if you will, to the four hundred, almost four hundred year history of higher education here within the United States, which started, you know, at Harvard was one of the first it was the first university way back when in the 1600s. Um, And really it was meant to be kind of a finishing school for wealthy white men, to be honest. We've come a long way since then for sure. But if you, if you look at kind of the idea of education is to educate people in some ways for the sake of education, have a well-rounded understanding of, of society and life around us and so on. So you did attend a liberal arts college here at IU South Bend. And so, yeah, sure, there are those um, you know, general education courses that, are, that play into that, to understand history, to understand certain elements about mathematics and communication. But you're absolutely right when it comes to the very practical things that an individual might use every single day. Yes, um, there are perhaps better alternatives for, for students to take and to be exposed to. Or, you know, it may be to look at even a trade school or something where, you know, because higher education isn't necessarily for every person, and that's okay. But if they're wanting to get into like computer science and do something like that, that's more techie and more um, application based then there are other schools and alternatives for that too that don't have as many of the general education requirements that <laughs> no jogging you know, I totally for you. Understand. yeah exactly <laughs> but i mean being healthy is one could argue is an important part of being a well-rounded person so i think that's part of, of that for sure but I, I i do i feel that i understand the frustration of having to take some of those courses along the way absolutely
0: so I like what you said uh, going back to what you said about Harvard being for originally, you know, wealthy white men. Sure. Being a doctor, being Mm. a female doctor, (laughs) did you encounter anything unusual or unsavory because of your sex?
1: You know, I think I came along within the system. Um, In general, I'm gonna say not necessarily with related in in relation to my role as as a professor you know, as a teacher here at IU South Bend and at a former institution, I, I do know that higher education has historically been even termed a chilly climate for women, especially for women in fields where they're likely to be less represented, say like in STEM fields, the science, technology, you know, engineering and mathematics. Um, yeah, they, there has been that sense that, you know, there are not a lot of women and not a lot of people of color, if you will, in those particular um fields exactly so yes it has been difficult and i'm not going to say that there isn't something that that's we're still struggling with in higher ed because absolutely there there is we know from the pandemic that um women and women of color took the brunt of the um how can i say this like the, the research they weren't able to do as much of their research they weren't able to be as productive their research activity because many of them were taking care of kids you know they're the primary caregiver at home and of course we're in a pandemic and not Mm -hmm. only are faculty members working from home but they may have young children who are also you know they need to monitor their online schooling and so on in a way that they didn't need to um, before so they have taken a hit in their research productivity as a result of that and it's going to take a little while to recover from that.
0: Going back to the uh pandemic i'm sorry every time i listen to you i just think of something else because of course that's why i like you so much as like a professor and a person in general but going back to the whole pandemic thing and teaching has um Higher education taken steps in case something like this happens again? Like, what did you do? What have you done in case there is an outbreak of something else? Because, you know, people are talking about monkeypox, and I don't yeah. foresee it being anything as, as destructive as COVID, but has anything changed on that front?
1: I think if anything, I think we're better informed. I think uh, the pandemic took all of us by surprise. Um, I remember I remember hearing about it, you know, I was out in Southern California at the beginning of 2020 and had done a, a, a traveling for our research team. We were in Tennessee, like in February of 2020 and had just gotten back and we were just gearing up for spring break. And I remember hearing about this thing, this pandemic. and. Um, we broke for, for well, we, we actually left, um, closed the campus in response to that initial response, thinking that, oh, well, we'll see y'all in, you know, two weeks. <laughs> well, little did we realize at the time that, of course, uh, we extended our spring break, and then, of course, we were fully online. And so I would say if we were to deal with this again, we have a much better awareness and understanding of what to do and how to manage much better uh, our classes and that type of thing. Now there are many faculty who are used to teaching online, fully online. Pivoting to fully online wasn't ideal because there are certain classes that are much nicer to teach in person, but it was a real challenge for a lot of the applied courses like choir. Band. You know yes. What do you do um, in those particular situations? So you just kind of do the best you can with what you have and the time you have at your disposal and your energy. I mean, because let's face it, we're not just, you know, pivoting to this. We're also as faculty members, as human beings saying like, what is happening? We're concerned about our, our, our health and the health of our family members and friends. You know, there's a lot of unknown. We don't know, you know, what to expect. Again, this is something we had never experienced. And of course, Absolutely. if we look back, you know, into history, we understand the, the pandemic of 20, sorry, of 1918. Um, and we can kind of look back into history and kind of see what happened there and lessons learned. But even then, um, schools were closed and students were doing things more by correspondence. It, and we just kind of fast forward, we have all this beautiful technology at our disposal, um, but we all got tired of Zoom, <laughs> yes, <laughs> question I, And look, yeah. you know, looking like the Brady Bunch all the time. Um, initially it was a novelty, now we know that this is a tool that truly can be used for productivity in the event yeah. that something like this were to happen again. I think we know better what to do. In, the, in those particular circumstances. So if we take anything away, Kyrie, so this is again, maybe a long answer to your question. <laughs> have we learned anything? Yes, I think we have. I think we've, we've learned that we can pivot and that we can do hard things. Um, we're, we're getting through it. But I also think that we recognize that working in that particular situation is not optimal. And we also, I think, have placed more value on that in-person interaction. And yes, you can facilitate successful and engaging online communities, and you can facilitate learning. But really, there's still no, no substitution for that one-on-one or that you know in-person classroom
0: experience. I, I agree. i strongly preferred um, teaching in class and being taught in a classroom, simply because you know me, I'm very uh, charismatic, I like to talk with my hands. Plus when you're teaching math, it's really good to be able to use the board and explain everything. Math, uh, especially to those who don't get it, uh, is extremely difficult to teach via Zoom or the whatever tools that we had, because we weren't given webcams working for South Bend uh, School Corporation. They expected sure. us to use our uh, laptop and we can't like close it too much, otherwise we, cl- we just <laughs> close out of the entire um, session. Sure. But it makes everything so much more difficult. And yes. like you, pivoting, learning, uh, and realizing that this is actually something that works extremely well. I just wanted to <laughs> see if that was the same case for uh people that voluntarily pay to be educated because a lot yeah. of the kids that i taught were like i hate school i'm never going to college and i'm like oh no <laughs> you have to you have no to.
1: it's true it's true and even as we have incoming students now like say first first uh, year students coming in many of them on the heels of the pandemic are like please for the love of all of the things do not put me in an online course i'm going to just yes. you know <laughs> I do not do well in online courses and whereas in the past it's really fascinating because I would advise students as well and I've been here now for 13 years and so in the past students would say well do you have an online course Um, because they want a little more flexibility in their schedule I would say pre-pandemic we had a few more people who are interested in fully online post-pandemic it's a mixed bag we literally have students say not at all please in person only
0: because people had this idea of what an online class would be and then Mm -hmm. when they're forced into them it's like oh I don't like this
1: right exactly yeah Yeah. I and I completely understand that I'm very empathetic um,
0: I remember with my undergrad I could not stand uh, uh, online classes and there were some that I could only take online Mm -hmm. terrible like photography at IUSB I could only take online and I oh it was terrible sure
1: I understand. It's not for everybody. Absolutely. One size does not fit all for sure.
0: Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I do appreciate you uh, coming in. Any final words for anyone? Because you've accomplished so much. You've overcome so much. You've talked about how it's healthy to, uh, in less words, treat yourself with the respect mm-hmm. you deserve while um, balancing everything that you've got on your plate equally and knowing that there is opportunity cost involved with becoming a doctor.
1: Yes, absolutely. I so would, would just say, oh, yeah, yeah I, would, I, I would just say if if you have something that you want to do and you know you've kind of wanted to do it, start exploring it if you haven't already. And it's interesting how I think sometimes things align and there could be a tipping point where you could take that plunge, I would say, you know, do it. Absolutely do it. Um, Follow that, that kind of dream or intuition that you might have, that little inkling about, hey, I'd really like to do X, Y, Z. Definitely look into it. And it doesn't have to be as, time consuming as earning a phd but i mean if you want to learn how to dance if you want to take up an instrument if you want to improve your skills in presentations or you know whatever it is that you want to do um or if you want to travel to a certain place start doing the things to to make that become a reality and literally just one step in front of the other and it's amazing how things just kind of take shape as you yeah as you just kind of like start in that trajectory and go along that path and i i just realized when i was trying to really buckle down and make the determination of hey i'm going to commit to this um again it was at a time in my life where things just kind of fell into place and i could see the ability to do that my kids were older at that time you know they weren't quite as as young as they had been of course in the past um, so that made it a little bit easier as well for me to make the, the decision so I could have these conversations with them and say, hey, I am here for you and I also have my stuff to get done too. So let's work together and, and we'll be there for each other. And it, it is amazing how much they also became kind of my cheerleader too. And that was yeah. pretty incredible.
0: And so, it's always good to have family, like have your back. They know what you're going through and they're yeah. like, don't give up and I'm sure that's what I remember Sebastian I know he wasn't gonna let you fail
1: (laughs) that's very very true and I'd hope too that you know even as they see the good the bad and the ugly of all that I've gone through they recognize okay it's okay to reach out for help when you need it And you can still accomplish things, and you can get it done, and you can um, adjust as you need to, and that's okay. And so if anything, if my kids can take that away from all of this, it's not so much about me becoming Dr. Mom, you know, or achieving this (laughs) lofty sort of thing, but really it's about, I hope that their takeaway and that I've been able to model for them, I guess, if you will, to my family, is that. Take care of yourself, like you said. Yep, take care of yourself. Um, be open to opportunities. Try to be as balanced as as possible, and give your spouse self give yourself space as needed. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to take a step back when you need to. Don't be afraid to readjust if things are not quite going the way you need to. It's okay. <laughs> you know, give yourself permission to live, if you will, along the way.
0: Exactly. Before I let you go, I'm going to ask you if you've heard of this story. Uh, I forgot where I heard it from, but it was relatively recently. You had a uh, boy traveling in a dark forest with a horse and he just stops all of a sudden. And the horse asks him, you know, why'd you stop? He's like, I can't see where I'm going. And the right. horse said, well, can you see your next step? And the boy answered, yes, I can and the horse finally answered that's all you need it's not about the finish line it's about seeing the next step ahead you'll eventually find your way out of the forest but you have to take that next step don't stop keep going as long as you can see your next step ahead of you
1: that's beautiful absolutely yes that <laughs> resonates
0: I I hope so I because I am seriously considering uh you know I, I was uh had a master's um program that i started with you guys and yeah. i do have mixed feelings about not being able to finish uh but you know like i said life happens but i do sure. plan on going back to school i want to get my phd in communication and just become a doctor like you one day and i hopefully awesome. teach. yes i'd love yeah. to teach my own deception and lying course
1: Yay! I'm excited. (laughs) Kyrie, that makes me really happy. I think you do an excellent job of that. So, you know, if you need a letter of recommendation, let me know, you know, where to find me.
0: (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Of course. Anyway, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because you've got that work-life balance you've got going on. I do appreciate you doing this for me and rescheduling and everything. So thank you and have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you, Kyrie. Thank you. I appreciate you very, very much. And I'm so proud of all that you're doing. That's amazing. Thank you.
0: I appreciate it. Thank
1: you.